Um, about a decade ago, in 2007, just before the big financial crisis, there was a new trend emerging in the world of finance. People were starting to use artificial intelligence to automatically place bets on financial markets. In the years that followed, the amount of transactions those robots were making became so huge that in some cases it represented more than 97% of transactions. We had effectively moved from human traders to machines who were far more effective and faster and doing less mistakes and therefore more money. The consequence is that in many, many places, those human workers in banks were replaced by machines. Up to 99% of them actually lost their jobs. Goldman Sachs went from 600 human traders in one of their offices to two. Now, you might not have much empathy for bankers, but the truth is they still love their job. And one of them was my dad. My dad has been a trader for over 40 years. You know, not the one that you see in the movies, really like a passionate one. He woke up every morning thinking about the economy. He went to bed every night thinking about the economy. Every time we were having lunch or dinner together, he was telling me about how the economy of the world works. He was really passionate. But today, he doesn't have a job anymore. He doesn't have a job because people like me, when I was doing my PhD, were working with banks to automate the job that he was doing. And you know, I realized at that point that this cannot happen to everyone, right? Because when it hits you so close to home, you feel very different. It no longer is something elusive, it becomes something real. So when the French government came to me and asked me to help them define a strategy for France, for AI, I jumped on the occasion as a way to try and see if we could find a better way. Alongside 60 other people, we worked on everything from you know, the impact of AI on jobs, on the economy, on industry, on research, trying to figure out how can we evolve the French society in the next 10 years so that it doesn't destroy all of us. But before I get into some of what we, uh, we published, let's talk a little bit about what, what AI is about. I mean, everybody's talking about AI today, it seems. Um, anybody wants to give me a definition? Oh, come on. You must have one. You look like you have one. No? Uh, okay, it could be from a movie. So, the way I define artificial intelligence is very simply reproducing human behavior in a machine, right? And there are many, many ways that you can build AI. One of them, which is very popular, is called machine learning. The idea here is that you're not telling the machine what to do. You're showing it examples of the behavior you want it to replicate, and it will learn by itself from those examples to do the same thing. The beautiful thing about machine learning is that it means that you don't need to understand what's happening. You just need to collect examples, data, about the behavior and feed it to the machine who by itself will learn to do it. This is why machine learning and AI is becoming so popular, because it removes the need for a human expert when you want to automate something. And one type of machine learning algorithm, which is very, very, very good at the moment, is called deep learning. So deep learning is a branch of machine learning, which is a branch of artificial intelligence. The three of them are very common and used interchangeably today, so you can think about it this way. Deep learning has nothing particularly uh, complicated about it. I mean, some of it is, but conceptually, it's quite simple. 
the idea is that you've got those different layers of neurons. So think of each dot as a neuron in your brain. All of these different dots are connected together, so they're sharing information between each other. So basically, this, these are numbers, and they're sharing numbers between them, and you're having this kind of average happening over the different layers. What happens when you're teaching it something, let's say you want to teach it to recognize cats, you give it a bunch of pictures of cats. Each pixels of the picture is gonna be one of the neurons in that first layer. By combining those pixels in all those different cat pictures, it's learning by itself that, hey, there is something I see on a regular basis that's an edge. So now it knows the concept of an edge. Now that it learned the concept of the edge, it can combine those edges to form an abstract representation of what a cat looks like and therefore make a prediction that this is a cat. So you see here, the important thing is that at no moment have you told the machine what a cat is. It learned by itself to create its own representation of what a cat is. What that means is that the data you're giving it is what is gonna learn to replicate and what you're gonna get as a prediction on the other side. So the data that goes in defines what comes out of it. And this is what we're using today to talk to different objects. You know, Siri, Alexa, anything you're talking to is based on deep learning. Self-driving cars, same kind of principle. Uh, medical imaging, this is quite interesting. There's a lot of people working on this, on ways to automatically do a medical diagnosis on MRI, on x-rays, and so on and so forth. Very successful, actually, uh, stuff happening there. But also, the same neural networks can learn to replicate the style of an artist. So this is something called style transfer. The idea is that you give it a bunch of examples of Van Gogh stuff, and it learns to replicate a style of Van Gogh on any one of your Instagram pictures. So here, you know, you've got like, well, it's actually a nice picture, but you could use any kind of picture and make it look super cool. The AI can replicate the art of a master. Something I find quite interesting, you can use the same deep learning techniques to generate stuff. So no, rather than looking at existing things, you can generate fake images. In this case here, this is a tool that was created where you can just sketch something you want and the AI will automatically generate a high resolution picture of what you're sketching. Try to imagine the implication for design, for architecture, for industrial you know, design, all these different things where you've got such a big learning curve to learn to use the tools, if you could just take a pen and a paper and start sketching something, it opens up creativity to a lot of people. It's also the same type of algorithms that were used to beat the world champion at Go, right? In this case here, the way that it worked is they took one neural network, so one AI, they made it play against the other one, and exchange, they basically gave each other feedback on how they were playing and how they were doing. And they did this for billions and billions of games, so eventually they got good. I mean, if you and I, for example, played a billion game because of Go, and each time we made a move, I told you, mm, this wasn't very good, and you told me, oh, this was better, well, of course you're getting good. At the time that they played against the world champion, he won, I think, two out of five games. Today, he cannot win anymore. It's impossible. You cannot beat AI at that game anymore. This was actually quite interesting because people thought it was 10 years in the future. So you know, it's one of those defining moments where everyone's like, oh my God, like, this is actually happening faster. AI can be split into two different things. On one side, you have something that we call narrow artificial intelligence. The idea here is that the AI can learn to do one thing. It does this specific thing very well, but it cannot do anything else. Everything I showed you before are examples of narrow artificial intelligence, which is not showing on the screen, I'm sorry. Um, on the other side, you've got something called general artificial intelligence. 
Here, what you want to be able to do is replicate any task a human can do. So essentially, you've got more overview systems thinking. So think about it. Narrow AI is vertical thinking. Uh, general AI is horizontal thinking. There is today no such thing as general AI. As a matter of fact, nobody even knows how we can get to that. Trying to say that general AI is here tomorrow would be like saying the space travel, the speed of light is here tomorrow. You know, we might be able to think about it, there might be philosophical implications of it, but the science and the technology is nowhere near even giving us a clue of how to get there. So 100% of what we call AI today is narrow artificial intelligence. And this is very, very, very important because the fact that computers today can only do specific tasks without this ability to get perspective and to think as a system is exactly what makes us humans still very useful. This is a beautiful art piece, actually, from a, a guy called James Bridle. It's a trap for autonomous cars. <laughs> it's deceptively simple, right? The car drives better than all of us here, by far. It doesn't actually do any accidents. It's really amazing. It learns to drive based on common driving knowledge. So it sees a dotted line, and then a solid line inside. So it's like, well, I can, I can go by. This is you know, permitted. But then once it's inside, it becomes a solid line with dotted lines aside. It can no longer go out because this is forbidden, right? It's basically trapped. You're laughing because as a human, this is absurd, right? You, you look at this, you're like, <laughs> I mean, who pulled a joke? And this is exactly the difference between narrow intelligence and general intelligence because you can actually take perspective. You can look at what's happening, you can put it back in context, and you can think, no, that doesn't make sense. A vertical, narrow, artificial intelligence will never be able to do that. No matter how much data you give it, unless you give it this example, which I'm sure now it is in the algorithms, it's never going to be able to do this by itself. It's also really beautiful because it shows that as humans, we still have a chance to build traps and to actually counter AI if it starts to go crazy. Right? Because we've got this general thinking ability that computers don't have, we can still defend ourselves against artificial intelligence. So having said that, now that we all agree on definitions of AI, is your job at risk in the next 10, 15 years? So I'm not talking about what's going to happen in 50 or 100 years. I'm talking about what's going to happen in the next couple of decades, which is really what we should focus on right now. So with the French government, we've, defined, we've designed a very simple four-step framework so you can ask yourself this about your own job to see how much risk you're having. The first one is, does your job require horizontal thinking? So as we just saw, horizontal thinking is out of scope for an artificial intelligence. Therefore, if your job is to be a scientist or if you're designing things as a system, anything that you have to do that requires horizontal thinking, you should be pretty safe. Does your job require very complicated manual tasks? Are you building something with your hands? Right? Are you working manually in an environment which is completely random and changes every time? A computer cannot do that for a very simple reason, is that robotics is moving way slower than artificial intelligence. So even though we could potentially have an AI that could do the task, we could not build a robot to do it. And the logic behind it is actually simple. Building a robot requires physical materials. Right? It costs money, it takes time to build, and in the time that you've built one iteration of your robot, you've probably built 100 iterations of your artificial intelligence and software. And therefore, artificial intelligence is growing much faster than robotics, which is why you've got 
this huge gap between what can be done in the physical world and what can be done in software. Also, you, know, you, might, you might want to ask yourself, do we want to automate this particular thing? Just because the technology can automate it doesn't mean we want to automate it. This is an example here with soccer. If you've got a referee, we've got a technology today already to completely automate and analyze the live video feed from the game and essentially say when something is how good or bad. But the problem is when you actually do this and you test it, what happens is the game stops all the time, <laughs> right? It becomes a little bit like American football for those of you who've already watched it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I mean, I live in New York half the time, it's boring to watch. So obviously we don't want that, you know, we want a human referee because a human referee has the ability to supersede the rules of the game based on his understanding of what's going on, based on context, based on gameplay and everything. The human referee makes the game interesting to watch. So you, won't, you don't want to replace the human referee by a robot referee. And finally, does your job require a lot of emotional intelligence? You know, a lot of people say that machines can show empathy. Sure, a machine could pretend to show empathy, but it's not going to feel empathy. And this is very, very important, because as a human, there are many, many things we do that requires us to connect on an, on an emotional level with other people. If you're managing someone or a team, you want to connect with them emotionally. If you're delivering a bad news to someone, you know, as a doctor, you want to connect with that person, right? There's so many jobs where understanding what it means to be human is required. And when you put all of these together, in France at least, I can't talk about Sweden or other countries, but for France, what you realize is that about 10% of jobs are gonna be robot jobs. So these are the jobs that are gonna be completely automated and completely disappear. It's not that many when you think, I mean, it's a lot, it's a million people in France, but it's not that many in percentage terms compared to what we're being told. 40% of the jobs will remain pure human jobs, meaning they won't change much or they will require a human uh, to actually do it. But interestingly, 50% are gonna become jobs that require a human and an AI to work together to perform the task. And this is, this is really what's interesting. Half of the jobs of people in the future will not be automated, it won't be human, it'll be a combination of a human and a machine working together. And this is really something I want everybody to keep in mind, is that the best shot we've got today is to take a human, to take a machine, make them collaborate, because together they can do a lot more things than either of them alone, right? You're taking the horizontal capabilities of humans with the vertical execution capabilities of a machine, you're putting them together, right? So it's really not about humans versus machines, it's about how do you create human plus machines, right? This is really what's important here. The second thing that we realize is that, well, maybe after all, it's really not about how to solve mass unemployment. Because, I mean, you know, 10% got a good welfare system, you can probably handle the transition, right? It's not like we have 50% of the population not working anymore. So what we told the government is, don't try to find a solution for when half the population isn't working anymore, because this is not what we think is gonna happen. Instead, try to find a solution to help the 50% of people who need to learn how to work with machines whose job is gonna be constantly transformed as those machines are learning to perform more and more tasks. And this fundamentally is about continuous adaptive learning. You want people to be able 
to continuously learn and understand how their job is changing, what other jobs are needed, so that they never end up being out of a job. Right? It's much better to have someone learn something new and keep working than have someone not working at all. So what we told the government is we have to do everything we can to promote a system in a society where people are continuously learning instead of learning one time in university and hoping the rest of your life that's what you're going to be doing. We've been proposing many, many different things which we're exploring at the moment. None of them have been implemented yet. But one of them which I find particularly interesting is the idea of a universal learning income. So the, the difference here with a universal basic income that you would give to everyone is that you're only giving this income to pay for the time people are spending learning instead of working. So if I take my job as at risk, I should be able to take a day off a week to learn something new to make sure that I stay relevant. I don't want to wait until my job disappears to end up having to learn something new again. So we're looking at the mathematics of that, seeing if it actually works out. So I don't know if it's a good idea or not, but you know, at least it gives people flexibility. And this is really what's important. You want people to have flexibility in being able to take control of their own fates when it comes to their job. So all of that is important because, I don't know about you, but I keep hearing all the time that machines are gonna take over, right? Just like in the Matrix movie, they're gonna somehow build and evolve consciousness that will determine that humans are not use useful and will turn us into batteries, right? But come on, nobody really wants that, right? And what we actually think here is that if we can really collaborate with machines, if you can have humans and machines work together, that we can potentially solve every problem we have and we're facing society, right? Again, the horizontal creative capabilities of a human with the powerful vertical execution of a machine is the best combination we have today. We can solve climate change, we can solve war, we can solve diseases, we can solve all of those problems. And perhaps even we might get to a point where we might have time to do something we really like to do as humans, which is very simply to relax. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>